Welcome in to another episode of Stub Me Down. My name is JW, and of course, as always, I am here with Skinny, who in a mere 10 days will be stepping foot into another decade. Not for nothing, that's a lot to handle, and it will happen uh, just a couple of days after you get married, too. So, Skinny, say hello to the people for the last time in your 40s. Wow, it makes it sound so good the way you just said that. I honestly don't know what to say. (laughs) I mean, I'm excited, but like a half century, um, I got my AARP stuff in the mail already. Totally true story. (laughs) Thank you. I am very happy to have been a part of the last 20 years of your life. I would never look at you and think, Man, that guy's got to be 50. So whatever you're doing, keep it up. Hopefully when I cross that bridge in seven years, I will learn to have handled it gracefully by watching you. And then by then you'll be 57. Well, that's really nice of you to say, man. I, I totally appreciate it. I'm, I'm excited for next week to, to live 50 years. I, again, I feel really lucky. Miller Lights and Sunshine. I'll see you when I'm 57. <laughs> Sounds good. I'm I'm happy that we'll be riding side by side until uh, I make it fi- to 50 and um, until you get to 57. It's hard to believe we've been friends for 20 years sometimes. And when I, we get into the show for today, it's a great example of how much we've done in our 20-year friendship. Of course, we'll get to that in a minute. In episode eight of Stub Me Down, Church of Jerry, Skinny stubbed me down on a September 2nd, 1989 Jerry Garcia Band show at our hometown venue, Meriwether Post Pavilion in Columbia, Maryland. A lot of fun to talk to you about that show. We talked a little bit about how Jerry can play rock and roll, gospel, blues. He's got all of it and his connection with the other members of his band, uh, Melvin Seals and John Kahn. And what a great set list. So the Don't Let Go encore was just top notch. We talked about the Cats Down Under the Stars in that opened the second set. A lot of fun in the first set as well. Uh, it was a lot of fun to talk about that show. I went back and listened to it again, and I really feel like we had several conversations that were meaningful, not only about what was played, but also... The relationship that Jerry has with keyboard players and also the relationship he has with members of whatever band he's playing in. When Jerry wants to be Jerry, it's the height of anything you've ever seen, I think, in a live concert setting. So go back and listen to that one. If you have not, you will definitely be very happy that you did that. I should say super happy. So I'll say super happy that you went back and listened to it. Definitely a show with that re-listenability factor that we like to talk about here on Stub Me Down. Skinny, I don't know if you checked it out, but Trey Anastasio on his quarantine has released a new solo album called Lonely Trip. I've listened to the whole album once through and went back and listened to a couple of tunes again, those being Lotus and another tune called And Flew Away. Interesting stuff from Trey. Definitely, he's feeling a little bit reflective about his quarantine, where he might be experiencing some loneliness, perhaps. 
We talked about that article in Relics a couple episodes ago where Trey was asked about performing live via Zoom or something along those lines, doing some sort of live stream, and it wasn't something that he was ready to consider. Maybe that's because he's using this time as inspiration to write some new music. Have you had a chance to check out Trey's new album? I have not listened to it, but I think it's interesting that he released another album. It just shows you the process of these guys that they want to continue to write music and keep it fresh and new. But when Sigma Oasis came out, I had heard some of those tracks live. So then I wanted to hear them studio. It works kind of the opposite way with these guys. Usually I I, I have no judgment on it, but um, Trey is a very talented guy. So I'm sure that there's something in there I'm going to like. So we usually hear them play the new stuff live and then see it on an album. So it's definitely interesting. And it's a little bit more of a reverse process for a band like Fish than maybe some of your other bands that are out there. They're trying to hustle and record albums. And then they do one big tour and they play all those songs. But it's a different process for a band that thrives off of the live experience. Well, you're exactly right, because that's the difference. Produced versus there. There means live. I think any listener has to put their ears on to say, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to listen to this. Dead fans and fish fans and, and live concert goers are some of the best listeners that there are. So I know that there's. that's why all the stats exist. That's why people want to hear something they've been chasing, whatever. When you have to sit down and listen to a studio or something produced, it's just a little bit different because you're not in that that moment. And I think we've talked about that early on this season too. One of the things that I was thinking about in preparation for this show that really goes to this conversation of the live versus the produced, the live show and how bands like Fish and the Grateful Dead and the Allman Brothers and all of the bands that we love and go and see and even cover acts of those bands They record their shows. They allow fans to record their shows. It kind of creates a duality of those shows. You are there in the moment. You're hearing it. You can never recapture that moment of standing there, listening to a song, to a jam, to a solo, to some lyrics, whatever it is, in that moment. But all of this recorded music gives us this ability to recapture a little bit of that magic 20 years later, 10 years later, 50 years later. Because once that show is recorded, the moment is not necessarily captured, but the magic is captured. And that is something you can feel again. And that is definitely something I felt going back to the show that we are going to be talking about today on Stub Me Down. So episode nine of Stub Me Down, I'm going to be stubbing down skinny. In case you're just joining us here on Stub Me Down, the premise of the show is that over the years of seeing concerts, Christian and I have amassed stacks of ticket stubs. What we wanted to do, especially during quarantine and knowing that we wouldn't be able to go and see any of our favorite bands, we wanted to pull these stubs at random from our collections and talk about those shows, talk about the music, talk about our friendship in light of those shows. Some of the shows Christian and I had been to together, some of them separately. The last couple shows Skinny stubbed me down on, I was still in grade school. Today, Skinny, I did something a little bit different. I didn't just splay all my tickets out on my pool table and pull a stub. I actually took out 
all of my Grateful Dead and all of my fish stubs because I wanted us to get into something that was not Fish or the Grateful Dead since they have dominated the first eight episodes of our podcast. In this other stack of ticket stubs, I have a variety of different bands that are not related to Fish or the Grateful Dead. So no side projects, no cover acts. It's just a whole bunch of other jam type of music that we have gone to see over the years. So I pulled today's ticket stub from that pile. So it is not a fish show, and it is not a Grateful Dead related show, as everybody knows. I have not seen the Grateful Dead or Jerry Garcia. So that's it. So I'm stubbing you down on something that is not fish and is not the Grateful Dead. So skinny. Are you ready for me to stub you down? Yeah, because I'm obviously not ready to have this discussion today. But yes, go right ahead. I'm excited. Let's hear this. The show that we will be discussing for episode nine of Stub Me Down is Government Mule from Friday, May 3rd, 2002 at the State Palace Theater in New Orleans, Louisiana, during the second weekend of Jazz Fest. Skinny, you were at this show as well. Another one. This was a big trip for us. This show was the first concert we saw in a weekend of seeing incredible music. That is an amazing show to pull. I'm really excited. I mean, we got to talk about a lot of stuff. There is a lot to talk about with regard to this show. Not only the music, obviously we're focusing on the music and the re-listenability of these great shows that we have seen over the years. But this was a trip to New Orleans and it was my first, our first trip. I think it was our first big road trip together as friends, uh, both of our first times in New Orleans. Yeah, that's correct. I'd never been there before. And so I was pretty excited. The fact that we decided to go ahead and, and make this drive down there. I mean, I've driven to Florida before that. 2002, we had never been to Jazz Fest. A lot of people have that on their bucket lists or it was definitely on our radar. And we decided to make a move and go down with some people and, and have a great time. If you've ever been down to New Orleans, I've been there twice now. It's, it's a lot of fun. There's nothing to do there but fun. That was a fun weekend, and and we went down mainly because Phil and Friends was playing on Saturday night down there. And obviously, there were all of these other bands that we knew that would be down there for us to see. Of course, I was in a little bit of a transition period in my life at that point and trying to figure out what I was going to do when I grew up, which I'm still trying to figure out. I had actually quit a corporate job uh, about a week before Jazz Fest just so that we could drive down and I didn't have to worry about taking days off. But the opportunity to drive down to New Orleans, which we drove through the night, we got there on that Friday morning. It was quite a ride. I remember we drove through some crazy thunderstorms in, was it Alabama? Yeah. So right outside of Birmingham, we could write a song about it. I mean, we saw lightning like cracking in the trees, like on either side of the highway. And if anybody's ever traveled like on 54 or anywhere in the deep south, like going towards Louisiana, it is crazy with all the trucks that fly down there. And it's it's a scary drive in the middle of the night when it's a pouring down thunderstorm. We were trying to take shifts, but I had to stay awake in order to help us see three feet in front of the car. Got down there, I think about like one o'clock in the afternoon, we pulled right off to our hotel. So once we got there, 
It was off to the races, buddy. Yeah, I remember driving across Lake Pontchartrain and coming into Louisiana and you, you approach New Orleans. And it's a pretty cool drive. And of course, we were super amped that we had made it. Then we were there. So we had a show that night. We were going to see this government mule show that night at the State Palace Theater. But we had all day to kill on Bourbon Street. I don't know, Skinny. That's a whole episode in itself talking about that Bourbon Street day. 2002, I'm 25 years old. And we were all about the party. And we walk into any bar, every bar on Bourbon Street. And you go up and you say, let me get two beers. And all of a sudden, six beers are in front of you because it's three for one happy hour all the time. It's real trouble, my friend. It's serious trouble. But I'll tell you what, it's, it's great for your wallet. And at the time too, I was, you know, going on 32. And I didn't have I had a couple jobs actually at the time that were paying the rent or whatever. But that, that was a soft landing there. You know, if anybody's ever gone to New Year's Eve runs or New York City or where have you, it's a lot of money to be spent on uh, just having a couple pops, but not down there. It's a beautiful thing, but trouble. And we pull up in the tie. We stayed in a real shithole of a hotel that was on the outskirts of the city. And I remember the first drive in, we drove past the Superdome and you're looking at the stadium and thinking, wow, that thing is gigantic. Guy drives us through the city a little bit, drops us off on Bourbon Street and we get out and you're just hit in the Face with the smell of like the worst college bar bathroom on a Saturday night. It's vomit, it's urine, it's beer, it's cigarettes, it's all sorts of obnoxious smells. And you're thinking, I've arrived. The devil's playground. Yeah. And it's funny, they wash those streets like every night at like 3 a.m. It ain't doing them no good. J.O. arrived, and we've talked about J.O. a few times on the pod, but J.O. arrived later on this evening as we walked around the streets of New Orleans on that Saturday and Sunday. He constantly made reference to the city being a psychedelic wonderland. I thought that that was pretty fitting for the experience that we had. But Government Mule was playing that Friday night. So we had to try and maintain a little bit. We've even made reference, I think, on Stub Me Down to never going big the first night. But we had driven, whatever it was, 15 hours, 16 hours straight through the night. We did not take a nap at the hotel. We grabbed showers, we got dressed, and we went right to Bourbon Street to start our New Orleans experience all of that knowing that we, number one, had to score those tickets to the Mule Show, and then we had to make sure that we could actually physically get to the Mule Show. Scoring tickets wasn't. I think we walked right up to the box office and got them for that night and then walked back down into the quarter. It was Jazz Fest, I think, on Sunday, which would have posed some problems because the lineup was so good. But we got there early enough. So tickets, I don't think were really an issue that weekend, which was good because there's people everywhere and they're all doing the same thing you are that weekend. They're going to see shows. You have so many great venues and, and people are playing everywhere. Tipitina is being one that I'm just going to rattle off of the top of my head. I'm not giving New Orleans Zagat recommendations, but the people that are down there are down there to see music. So every place is packed and jumping. And that means jumping at like two o'clock in the afternoon. 
I was just so happy to I'm going to see a show and I'm hanging out in the quarter. First time there. Yes, I'm a tourist. So, yeah, I love the quarter. It's good times. It was a delight of the senses, no doubt. Let's get into this show a little bit. Why don't you get us started? Why don't you uh, hit us with the first set? And let's talk a little bit about some of this music. All right, Government Mule. So first set, Bad Little Doggy, Lay Your Burden Down, Left Coast Groovies, Blind Man in the Dark, Effigy, which is a Credence Clearwater Revival cover, Fool's Moon, Banks of the Deep End, Tastes Like Wine, which Jimmy Herring, one of our favorite guitarists, joined the band. A lot of special guests this evening. Beautifully Broken, followed by Sko Mule, and then Soul Shine, which is the Allman Brothers band cover, which is never left out of a government mural show that we've ever seen in our lives. <laughs> I was looking through my government mule ticket stubs, and I probably have... I think 25 or 28 stubs. I know that I don't have a stub from every single one of the Mule shows that I saw. I'm in the you know mid 30s probably on Mule shows. But I would hasten to say that probably 99% of the Mule shows I have ever been to have featured a Soul Shine. I mean, it's just a staple. Can you talk about what Warren brings to the table as far as live performance, considering conversations we've had this season about Jerry, Trey, Phil. What's what's your thoughts on Warren? We did talk about him a little bit when we talked about that Phil and Friends show. At this point, Fish is a year and a half into their hiatus with no sign of them coming back anytime soon. We were seeing a lot of Phil and Friends at the time and Warren was one of the key guys of that, Warren and Jimmy Herring, which is awesome to see Jimmy come out and play with him here. Obviously, they were both going to be playing together the next night. The, the thing that I like about Warren is his selflessness when he's playing with other people. And he'll take the big lead and he'll have the blistering peaks and solos. He thrives off of the other people he's playing with. I really think he's a pretty selfless guitar player. I have, I've had conversations in the past where people have not necessarily liked Warren because they felt he would dominate a stage. And I never felt like that. I felt like he played very well with other people, but took his moments when they were there for him. A situation like this show where he's playing, what, the bass band at that point was Warren Haynes, it was Matt Apps on drums, who's just a beast. Dave Schools was playing bass. Alan Woody had died a couple years before, so he had a couple of different bassists that came in and out. And Rob Rocco, he'd been playing with in Phil and Friends. So the bass band was really very talented. And then throughout this show, they're bringing in these different musicians. He serves them up very well. He allows them to shine. He shines within the framework of having all of those guests, of playing covers. I absolutely love Warren Haynes as a musician, as a songwriter, even as a guest when he comes in and plays with other musicians. And at this time, he was one of the busiest guys in music. He was playing with Phil and Friends. He had his own band with Government Mule. He was playing with the Allman Brothers. He was doing a guest spot. It was every night in the summer if he wasn't touring, it, he showed up with this guy or he showed up with that band. 
he's just got such a presence but it works so well with whoever he's playing with. And I really think he fits into that model of Jerry Garcia. Obviously, they have a different style of playing guitar. Jerry, I think a little bit more on the mellow side, just overall in his attitude where Warren's a little bit more, my guitar is going to be loud and in your face and it's going to be blistering but it's also going to be emotional. It's going to be passionate. Warren has one of my favorite voices in rock and roll. I really love the passion that he sings with, no matter what. He's got that bluesy style in his voice. Once I started seeing Government Mule, I was hooked on Warren Haynes. And it's interesting because I was thinking about when the first time I saw Warren Haynes was, and it was a show in 1999 at the Record Theater in Towson, and I was with the O'Neill Brothers, and that was when they were just a trio. It was Warren Haynes, Matt Apps, and Alan Woody. Uh, Alan Woody died the next year, but the band, it was just raw southern rock and roll. Like, it is rock and roll in your face. And Warren Haynes brought that to the Grateful Dead, and he created that within his own music. One of my favorite guitar players to see live, no question about it. You're not going to get a lot of disagreement with, about Warren Haynes. In that first set, Bad Little Doggy, he does that at the end. He just brings the power. Same with the Beautifully Broken. Beautifully Broken is a slow, melodic song. has a lot of pull to it. We've talked kind of about how Jerry would do that. Your point hits right there. At the end of that, he crushes his solo. So at every time at the end, he crushes the solo. I never really liked the characterization of Warren while we were seeing them a lot. I, I loved him too, and I never understood why so many people drove to the depths of negative criticism for a guy that was playing with everybody and everybody seemed to love. So their criticism was pretty unwarranted considering how busy the guy was. I mean, I have a hard enough keep in my schedule and that guy's schedule is just absolutely insane. If there's any guitarist in the quote-unquote jam band scene who has that real metal, heavy rock and roll edge to even sweet ballads like Taste Like Wine or Beautifully Broken, it's Warren Haynes. And he can rip the shit out of that, but still make you feel the passion and the emotion within the melody and within the licks of a particular tune. And I think he did that very well with the Almond Brothers and their catalog. I'm also taken by his ability to play the entire Grateful Dead catalog, the entire Almond Brothers catalog, his own catalog, his range when it comes to the amount of music that the guy can play is impressive. And I've never left a Warren Haynes related show and been like, meh, he's not that good. Or he wasn't that good tonight. He's a power player. I think that makes going to see Government Mule or going to see a band that he is one of the guitarists in very fun. So as a front man, yeah, I'm all about it. I'm all about some music for your ass. He can speed it up and slow it down just as good as any guitarist I've ever heard. He, he's got serious chops and I, whoever says that he doesn't is just a bad listener. You want to give us a couple of your highlights for this set? 
lot of great music here. Bad Little Doggy's really gonna get everybody moving to start. The opening riff, it's just, again, it's just a power, heavy rock and roll start. It's gonna get the place up and moving. I think we were up in the balcony, if I recall. We were right in the front of the balcony, so we had some pretty good seats. That was a great start, the Bad Little Doggy and To Lay Your Burden Down. The Left Coast Groovies, I didn't know at the time. I've since learned that song is one of the first songs that Government Mule even recorded. Some great lyrics. The chorus is hilarious. Gotta stay away from the Left Coast Groovies. Living their life like a cheesy movie. The wraparound shades and the airhead cuties. Got a new age stench because he traded his patchouli. I get a good chuckle when I hear that. The Blind Man in the Dark, certainly intense, heavy rock and roll. That's a great riff that they just keep playing throughout there. The Effigy in the middle there, the Creedence cover, I just absolutely love. This version is really awesome. And Effigy is off of Willie and the Poor Boys, a Creedence album. It's just so passionate. You think about the words of Effigy and where we were at that time, there was still a lot of uncertainty and, and a song like this might be representative of where we were. There's also this tempo change that takes place in the middle where you just have the pace accelerate through the middle of this jam. Kind of hits you by surprise. The drums and the bass are just pushing this through. There's almost a, a little kind of a ragtime feel, ditty that they do, and then they drop back into the end of Effigy, and it's just a really powerful version to listen to. Of course, when Jimmy Herring comes out for Taste Like Wine and plays the rest of the set, as you know, and we talked about when we talked about the Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, November 17th, 2001 Phil and Friends show, Jimmy Herring and Warren Haynes together are two of my favorite guitarists. So having him come out anytime they have the dueling guitars and they speak to each other and they have that musical conversation, kind of heavy rock and roll type of genre, it really hits for me. And those are two guitarists that they can play blues, they can play rock, they can play jazz, they can play whatever they want together. They are cut from the same cloth. I really enjoyed that. And then at the end of the set, you have DJ Logic come out and he's playing with Herring and Skerrick, uh, the saxophone player from Les Claypool's Frog Brigade. And they did Skomule and Soulshine to close out that set. And that Skomule is definitely one to go back and check out here. You have this collaboration of musicians. You can really hear at the beginning of the song, they're kind of all feeling each other out. And then Skerritt kind of takes control with a little bit of a sax solo. And the rest of the guys on stage jump right in. And you just get this great dance party that takes place in that Skomule. The drums, DJ Logic is scratching on the records. And it just sounds really cool. And that's a great version of this tune. And then the Soul Shine, you know, as we talked about, eh, we've heard Soul Shine. Certainly hearing DJ Logic scratch on a Soul Shine was a little bit new for me. Morocco had a real nice piano intro. That's my favorite part of the song, but it was only the first, I don't know, 30 or 40 seconds, and then the rest of it was Soul Shine. So great set. I was really excited. It was our first show. We were so jazzed up. <laughs> 
And I also remember we were sipping on some bourbon in the balcony there, and we were having a great time. J.O. had joined us a little bit later on in the day, but right before we went to the show, he showed up. And so there was just such great energy among the three of us going into the building. Then we got this power rock and roll set. I was definitely pleased overall for our first 12 hours in New Orleans for the first time. Yeah, I agree with you, man. I had a great time, too. I do remember sipping bourbon up there. We were in the front seat of the balcony, so like right there, it's like the balcony goes off, and there's a guy next to us that put his feet up without any shoes, and thought, wow, that's what a very relaxing state of mind this guy has for the show. <laughs> so I think what you said there is just beautiful, man. Anytime guests are coming out, Jimmy Herring especially, and then I didn't even realize that DJ Logic came out on the ones and twos there. Scratching records. Just to review set one, Bad Little Doggy, then Lay Your Burden Down, Left Coast Groovies, Blind Man in the Dark, Effigy, Fool's Moon, Banks of the Deep End, Taste Like Wine, Beautifully Broken, Scomule, and Soul Shine. <laughs> you like how I said Soul Shine? Let's move on to set two because this is where the Tower of Power comes out, literally. 30 Days in the Hole, Humble Pie. A lot of you kids don't even know who they are, but if you had an older brother, you know who Humble Pie is. World of Confusion, What is Hip, Tower of Power cover, Down and Out in New York City, James Brown, Spanish Moon, which is a great little feet cover, it's my favorite, drums, and then this great bass jam with Les Claypool and Dave Schools. Back into a Spanish Moon, still with Les Claypool, if I have possession over Judgment Day, which is the Robert Johnson cover, Lucky, which is a Radiohead cover, ending it with Mule, and then the last cover of the night, which I believe makes it a total of nine covers, Wild Horses by the Rolling Stones, where Skinny took a nice little encore nap. A lot of fun to hear that. Humble Pie, 30 Days in the Hole, Deep Banana Blackout horns that came out, starting with What is Hip, you always make the joke that Warren didn't actually introduce the specific players. He just said the horns from Deep Banana Blackout, Deep Banana Blackout. And they came out and they played What Is Hip, Down and Out in New York City, and the Spanish Moon segment, which was awesome. I'm a big fan. I love the horns. Trey Band has the horns. When Mule brings out the horns, Ron Holloway, who Warren brings out Almost every time we've seen Government Mule, Ron Holloway comes out on the saxophone. I mean, we've hung out with Ron Holloway smoking cigarettes in front of the 930 Club at Separate. Ron Holloway is amazing, and I love when he comes out. Here we have the folks from Deep Banana Blackout, Hope Claiborne, Rob Somerville, and Brian Smith. Really talented. They get into some call and response with Warren with the guitars that always hits me right where I itch when the guitarist plays something, the horns repeat it. The Spanish Moon is the highlight of this set. It includes that great bass jam with Schools and Claypool and breaks back into it. A lot of horn play is all over the second set too, but I kind of wanted to focus on the Spanish Moon and, and get your thoughts about it after going back when you want to take a deep dive into something. 
that good. The Spanish Moon, you mentioned it, Little Feet cover. It's also one of my favorite Little Feet songs. Absolutely love Spanish Moon and the different ways it can be played. It is a song with a New Orleans feel. And we walked into a lot of bars and they all had that Spanish moon feel. And so it was really cool to see this. I, whenever I think about horns in a band like this, I think about the Seinfeld episode where Elaine was dating John Jarmain. He wrote a song for Elaine called Hot and Heavy. It was this deep, sexy saxophone song. You get that here in The Spanish Moon, listening to the horns go back and forth. Of course, then you get Les Claypool who comes out. Les Claypool and the Frog Brigade had opened the show. Les comes out and does this bass jam slash duel with Dave Schools. It's one of the coolest bass music experiences I think I've ever had, seeing these two guys go at it. So much fun. And then they go back into the Spanish moon. And that's a really awesome segment of music and definitely a second set highlight from this show. It was hot and heavy, man. It was hot and heavy. Yeah, they really start off that song great. And, and the best part about a Spanish moon, if you're in New Orleans, I mean, there are hookers and hustlers and they were among us and probably bad cocaine too. They filled up the room. It's just such a dark and dirty jam, which we've also discussed many times on this show. The bass jam just accentuates that and makes it even better. Really happy to listen to that back to today. So I just wanted to get your perspective on that. It was great. I feel like I'm sitting on a bar stool in the corner, sipping on a bourbon, kind of like I am now, with a cigarette, and I'm just taking it all in. And you've got this music, and you can't really see exactly what's going on, but you know some shit is going on. This might have been a little bit of a theme song for this particular trip for us down to Jazz Fest in 2002. The song starts out powerful and then it creates this kind of background haze, which I really like about it. It's there, but it's not necessarily the most identifiable thing in the room, but it's a certain groove that everybody in the room is feeling. So I completely identify with your analogy right there and how you described our, our trip down there. A little bit hazy, a little bit unidentifiable, but, but good, real good. Jazz Fest is about constant music, constant collaboration, nonstop stream of guests, and everybody just playing together, creating music that won't ever be created again, right? I look at this as we were there at this crazy moment in time that we'll never relive, but going back and listening to this show, I felt a little bit of the magic that was created that night among all these people on stage that Warren was bringing on and how they played together constantly brings me back to what we always talk about here on Stub Me Down, and that's re-listenability. This was not a show that I don't think either of us had listened to in 15 years. And to go back, check it out, hear these collaborations, hear these covers, relive that trip to New Orleans, it was a lot of fun. We had a great time down there. Yeah, we did. The best part about what you're saying to me, man, is that you're making the memory almost a physical being. 
you know, you are taking what you heard, and I haven't listened to this probably since, like, you got the disc and we listened to it, or you made me a copy of it. I haven't listened to it probably since we got that copy because there's so much music and it doesn't confuse me or anything. Don't get me wrong, everybody out there. I listen to music all the time, but I was really happy to hear this one again because it brought that physical memory back into my conscience. And it was this particular show was our first night down there. I had never been to New Orleans. Josh had never been there. You're doing something new and it creates this memory, a conglomerate of memories, I'll say, that um, really does last a lifetime. And that's pretty special for me considering I'm almost turning 50 and I can look back at the registry of all the stuff that I've done. And this is definitely, I don't know, it's not in my top 10, Josh. <laughs> it's up there. <laughs> but it was a really good time. Yes, I was there, people. That doesn't mean, you know, everything is necessarily present. And, and I think that's what we're trying to hit on. What is it? Not necessarily what is hit, but what is it about this stuff? And I think we're getting onto something here. But we tend to forget, really, some of the things that we've seen, how good it was. And that's one of the things that we are trying to answer here on Stub Me Down is, hey, what have we seen? How cool was it? It's worth you going back and checking out. You know, the only other thing that I will add, and it really, it certainly didn't strike me at the time when we were at this show, but going back and listening to it from the perspective of now in 2020 and listening to some of these tunes, there seemed to be another message. Skinny, I'm always looking for the messages. There seemed to be a message maybe through this show, a little bit of a political feel, a little bit of a challenge of the rule, a little bit of recognition of where we might have been in that particular time. So you think about some of the lyrics in some of these songs. And again, when I was there in the audience, I wasn't thinking about it this deeply. But looking back at it, song like Lay Your Burden Down, I mean, just the name of it, Lay Your Burden Down. Left Coast Groovies, you think about some of the lyrics in there that I had mentioned. Effigy, you know, that song was came out in 1969. Saw the fire spreading to the palace door. Silent majority, weren't keeping quiet anymore. You get into the banks of the deep end, beautifully broken. There's a little bit of a theme about where we were maybe as a nation, and I don't want to get that deep, but we were only eight months removed from 9-11. There was a lot of kind of self-reflection, certainly personally. After 9-11, I quit my job and decided to go be a teacher, and it was in large part because of that. As a history teacher, I look at Yes, this show was in May of 2002. It was just a concert, right? But I look at it, and you're an English teacher, so I know you have a tendency to look at kind of deeper meanings and deeper connections through literature. And, and I feel like this is a, is a similar type of message. You know, then you get into world of confusion, down and out in New York City. If I had possession over Judgment Day, there's a little bit of a message throughout this set. If you listen to the words of Lucky and then they encore with Wild Horses, couldn't drag me away. There's this progression of maybe a story through this set. Warren brings in these other guests. 
it's probably not as deep as I'm taking it, but I'm also looking at it 18 years later, 18 years older. I really had a hard time not recognizing this message that seemed to be coming through in some of these songs. When you get older, that seems to be our theme today. <laughs> I think you know also that these guys would play with their set list like that to tell a story. I'm sure that Warren, through his time with Phil, Phil tells a story or attempts to tell some story throughout the set list. And I think that you're right on this one. They're an American band, probably commenting thematically on some American values and things that are going on in the world. That's not necessarily what people go to concerts for, but it is interesting when you get the time to reflect or think back about that show, re-listen to it and say, wow, that was pretty crazy. When was that show? May 3rd, 2002. That's pre-Katrina, that's post 9-11. In that span of about five years, a lot of stuff was going on in the United States, kind of like where we are right now. So music has a way of helping people interpret what's going on around them, and I completely agree with you. Not that I disagree with you a lot, but on that end, <laughs> I completely agree with you because I think part of being a musician is telling a story musically, and you have to be a fool not to think that there's some thematic element in there that they're trying to chase. Whether that message gets across right away, down the road, when they listen to them or their albums, or if it's just a selling point, I don't think so for them, but I think that's a, a really astute point. We were going to New Orleans to go and party and see as much music as we could over three days to escape from the fact that I had just quit a job. You were where you were in your life. It, it was a vacation from all of that stuff. And now as I'm looking back at it, I guess it's really based on how you choose to interpret things at the time. And we talked about that with your Grateful Dead, Jerry Garcia stub downs. You were a little bit younger, kind of a reflective from now looking back at those shows. And I feel like that is kind of hitting me here where at the time, I certainly had a lot of feelings about where we were in life and where society was. But now I'm looking at it much older, much maybe wiser, I guess, maybe less wise. It seems to pop out a little bit more at me this time around than I did that. You're just a sharper individual, brother. You're more educated. I think you take the time to make sure that what you're listening to is meaningful. And not that everybody has to do that. I just think that, again, your senses get sharpened when you're older, you start to appreciate things a little bit more. And there's many things in this life that make you do that. When you're listening to a show, the next time you go, when there's concerts again, I think maybe I might try to do that, try to see what story's being told. I'm kind of a guy that's all over the place, so I can't really focus on what they just played. I can't sometimes even remember the song before I go, oh yeah. So in the moment, it's a little bit more hectic. And when you have a time to kind of sit down and listen a little bit, it becomes less hectic. And then maybe you can get the experience better, you know, having some awareness about what you're hearing. I'm also a little bit more sober now than I was. <laughs> yeah. We have seen a lot of music over our lifetimes. And this show really hit for me on a number of levels. Not only the fun of going back and reliving that vacation, but one of the things that I 
I've mentioned previously on Stub Me Down is that I'm a I'm a set bookkeeper. I keep the set for most of the concerts that I go to. I have a set book from the 2001-2002 concert season. For this particular weekend, I actually kind of kept two sets. I kept a set of what we were doing during our time in New Orleans, and then I attempted to keep the sets of the music that we saw. Sometimes what we did in the first set didn't actually convert to what I was trying to keep track of with the second type of set list. But going back and reliving and some of the funny things like the Lucky Dog hot dog stand and different bars that we visited, but just the experiences and the places that we went, it really brought it back to remembering a great trip that we had. Then I listened to the music and I felt a couple of different things. Number one, wow, we saw some really cool music, but two, there was this underlying feeling or theme throughout the music that they played that hits me in a much different spot now. So this was a really fun show to go back and listen to. And hopefully, we'll, we'll as we continue, we'll be able to do that more and more because I know there are shows like this for you that I probably wasn't at. There are definitely other shows in my ticket box that include some of these types of feelings. Right on. Well, that's something I think we're going to investigate as we go further into this podcast. Uh, I'm going to run down the second set right now. So it started off with 30 Days in the Hole by Humble Pie. Started off the set, followed by World of Confusion, What is Hip, Down and Out in New York City, Spanish Moon, Drums, Yes, a Jam, Spanish Moon, If I Have Possession Over Judgment Day, Lucky, set ends with Mule and the Encore, Wild Horses by the Rolling Stones. It was a good one. That was a, that was a good show. I mean, think of, just think about those covers. Radiohead, Robert Johnson, Little Feet, James Brown, Power Power, Humble Pie, The Allman Brothers, Credence. I mean, that's a who's who of amazing covers. Not necessarily the most popular songs of those bands, but some great covers and played very well by Warren and the guests that he brought in throughout the entire show, man. I think this is an awesome show. If you're looking for some government mule to listen to, this is a really awesome show from 5-3-2002 in New Orleans, Louisiana at the State Palace Theater. Is that on Canal Street? I think it is. Pretty sure it's on Canal. Am I wrong? I got the ticket stub right here but it doesn't have the address. You can barely see it. It doesn't matter. The ticket stub is pretty cool though. It's got purple and gold, which are uh, Mardi Gras colors. A very cool ticket stub. And what a beautiful venue too. I do remember it. It's definitely one of those old school, gaudy theaters that of course we've seen a variety of different shows in, but it, it has a little bit of like a beacon theater type of feel with the balcony draping and some of the ornate features of the venue. It was a pretty cool place to, to see a show. I'm definitely glad I've got that on my venue list. Yeah, no doubt. That's a, that's one that a lot of people don't have unless they're from that area and seen many shows there for us being from the Northeast, Mid-Atlantic area, it's something that you don't get an opportunity to do. So yeah, I was super happy about it though. It's New Orleans, baby, a lot of fun. Well, and you know, you think about it. So we went to this show, then the next day we saw 
we bounced in and out of bars and saw a bunch of music. We saw Government Mule open for Phil and Friends on that Saturday night. And then Sunday, we went over to the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival. I remember I lost my voice on Sunday and nobody could actually hear anything I was saying for about 15, 16 hours. And then we had, uh, remember that uh, sister of my friend took us around. We went around a little bit of Tulane area, some of where the kids were hanging out. We saw some cool sites, went to a couple of cool local spots. And I think about some of the trips that you and I have taken over the years. This one might be up there like top five, top three. I don't know. We're not into rankings here on Stub Me Down. But this is definitely up there as far as not only the amount of music we stuffed into four days, including two 17-hour drives or whatever it was, quality of experience, seeing a new place. We went for beignets at Cafe Du Monde. I mean, we did it all, man. It was a great trip, and I can't wait to get back down there to New Orleans. Megan's never been to New Orleans. I'm dying to take her for Jazz Fest, hopefully sometime soon. Yeah, that would be awesome, man. Let me know when you go or when it's happening. Maybe we'll join you. All right, buddy. You got anything else for me? I don't have anything else for you, but for everybody else, I do want to say thanks for checking us out again here on Stub Me Down, Episode 9. We just took a look at a government mule show. I stubbed Skinny Down on a government mule show from May 3rd, 2002 at the State Palace Theater in New Orleans, Louisiana during Jazz Fest of 2002. Great venue, great show. Stoked to get the opportunity to, to check this one out and talk about it with Skinny. The next time you will hear from the Stub Me Down crew, Skinny's going to be a married man and he's going to be 50 years old. So I do want to say... On behalf of all of us here at Stub Me Down, congratulations on the nuptials. I can't wait to be a part of it. And congratulations on making it to 50 years. And here's to another 50, my friend. Thank you. I hope that happens. I love you too. Appreciate it. If you want to check us out on social media, we are on Twitter at Stub underscore me underscore down. And we're also on Instagram at the same address, Stub underscore me underscore down. Let us know your thoughts about episodes shows that we are talking about, or any general comments that you might have about Stub Me Down. And we will see you the next time you need to get out of your shitty seats and down to the path. Later. Later.